What's this? What's this? It's super califragilistic, expialidocious. What is this? A whole new world. What is this? Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Circle of Film podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me today as we step into my December scavenger hunt preview. Uh, This is the second scavenger hunt that I'm previewing for everyone, and unlike the November hunt, this one was put together by one person. Uh, So November's hunt was a motley submission uh, group of tasks, whereas December's scavenge hunt, which is the 21st hunt that Letterboxd has had since its inception, uh, is created by a user named Josh Darby. So credit to him for the tasks and coming up with them. And as there are 31 days in December, there are 31 tasks. And I have been able to add 30 new films that I've never seen before to satisfy all of these requirements and one film that I have seen before but only because the specific task is restrictive in its ability to put a film into into using a film that I had not seen yet so let's just jump right into this this is going to be another sort of longish episode so won't won't stall out too long for with a preamble so task number one a film nominated for best picture in 1939 uh now i've seen a couple of them uh but and i i didn't really have any basis for choosing one film over the other as far as the films that I hadn't seen that that satisfied this criteria, as long as it was one that I hadn't seen. And so I, I picked one that was generally better reviewed that, than some of the others that I hadn't seen and, and sort of supposed, supposedly holds up better uh, in the 75 years since it came out. And that film is Ninotchka, uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, 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 uh, starring Greta Garbo as a Russian woman. I don't, I feel like she's not Russian, but I'm not sure about that. I, I can't imagine. No, she's Swedish. So, you know, a Swedish woman playing a Russian. Uh, and the Letterboxd review says or synopsis, says a stern Russian woman sent to Paris on official business finds herself attracted to a man who represents everything she is supposed to detest. Uh, The man in question seems to be played by Melvin Douglas, uh, another big name from the era. And part of this is, like, I Greta Garbo is a name that, you know, classic Hollywood is drawn to and represents it quite substantially but it's also a name that I don't really I haven't seen a lot of films from from her you know I I don't have a large foray into 
classic cinema. And in fact, I haven't seen any films with her in them, apparently. I could have sworn I had seen at least one. Huh. So, again, that's another reason. I can finally add her to the list. And, you know, it's got a 3.9 on Letterboxd, average rating, which is it's really good. And, yeah, I, I'm looking really, really forward, forward to it. So, Nachka, Greta Garbo, Melvin Douglas, uh, also has Bella Lugosi, um, for what that's worth. So, I'm looking forward to this one. I, I do think that this is going to end up toward the top half of, of the list come the end of December. Uh, all right, number two, a film released into theaters in December of 2016. So, I love that this is a task because the more films that I can fill in tasks with that come out at the movie theater, the easier it is for me to complete the scavenger hunt because I'm going to see all the movies that come out in the theater roughly. And so I was able to find a couple of them for this month, not an overwhelmingly large number, but enough to make me feel comfortable that I'm not going to have to be stressing like I was last month to complete the list at the end of on time. And so I really could have put pretty much any movie that comes out this month in this in this slot, but uh, the one I chose was Assassin's Creed, uh, directed by Justin Kurzel, who is also the director of Snowtown, which I watched somewhat recently. And I think it's good. It's an Australian film from 2011 with uh, no one notable that stars in it. Um, but, but, but it's a, kind of like a small town teen drama-esque movie. But like it's very, very mature. It's not like about teens. It's a teenager and his relationship with adults and explored in that way and there's a lot of really violent stuff in this movie so I trust that Kurzel can attack the sort of violent mm, combative side of Assassin's Creed and then last year Kurzel directed Macbeth also starring Michael Fassbender also starring uh, Marianne Cotillard and so he's worked with these actors before. That'll give him a strong ex- experience to, in, in uh, knowing what they're like and how they operate. So hopefully, hopefully, he's able to put all these pieces together and give us the video game movie we so dearly deserve. You know, Warcraft was a far cry from <laughs> far cry from what we needed and what we want we've wanted and while I'm not I don't play Assassin's Creed uh, but I've seen it played a multitude of times uh, you know I've watched back in in college I watched friends like play through the entire storyline so I have a pretty good idea of what to expect to out of it. I don't know how closely the film is going to adhere to the narrative of the mo- of the games, but 
I don't know. I I I have good I have a good feeling about this movie. So Assassin's Creed. Uh, I, you know, I haven't seen any of the trailers for it again, but I, I, I've no one's really like super down on it from what I can tell. So that's really gives me hope, I suppose. Uh, number three, a film based on a Tony Award winning musical or play. Uh, I specifically wanted to go with musical in this category. Uh, I'm kind of on a musical kick as far as like the music that I've been listening to. Um, having recently added, you know, f- uh, kind of like thanks to Moana and uh, adding uh, the, the Something Rotten musical soundtrack and the soundtrack from Matilda and Phantom of the Opera and all these other musicals. And so the musical I ended up going with is The King and I. And, you know, I wanted to find one that adapted well and is kind of ha- had some, si- some type of legacy to it, uh, a movie that made an impression on filmgoers at the time and kind of lasted beyond its uh, relevancy in a way and the king and i stuck out to me you know because there are there are a lot of movies from there are a lot of tony award-winning musicals but i've seen most of the movies uh to have been adapted from them you know you've got your les mises and your into the woodses and uh, things like that, but The King and I is a movie that I believe I've seen clips of, and the clips, singular, I've seen a clip of once, and I only vaguely remember having done so, and the only reason I'm pretty positive that I have is because, like, the Yul Brenner, Deborah Kerr interaction is, is very... Uh, familiar to me, so I, I'm really interested. You know, I, I think Yul Brenner's a great actor. I think Deborah Kerr's great. Uh, I like Rita Moreno. I like Martin Benson, uh, and those are the first four listed cast members. Uh, it's directed by. It's from 1956. The film, directed by Walter Lang, who I haven't seen any of his other films. Um, looking through them, none of them really jump out to me. But they all seem to be sort of in line with sort of song and dance type of movies. So The King and I is another film that was nominated for Best Picture for its year. And so I'm really interested in hope, hoping that hoping, hoping to get a good 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 feel for it. Hopefully I enjoy the music. You know, any any musical hinges on the music and I don't know anything about the music from The King and I so I will be going in really blind to this one because I don't I know the I think not reading the synopsis but I believe that the plot is some about like Yul Brenner is the king and 
the the Deborah Kerr character is the I, and like he wants her to be his like seventh wife or something like that. So, uh, or I don't I don't know I don't know exactly how they come to meet. So I don't really know anything about the movie. Number four, a film directed by Billy Wilder. Uh, Billy Wilder is a great director. I've seen five of his films. Uh, I've seen The Apartment, Double Indemnity, uh, Some Like It Hot, The Lost Weekend, and Sabrina, which I think are all very good to great to amazing movies. And according to Letterboxd, his most popular film that he's directed is Sunset Boulevard, and that is the film I chose. Sunset Boulevard is a 1950 film starring William Holden, Gloria Swanson, uh, Eric von Stroheim, and Nancy Olsen. Uh, most of those names are ones I don't have a particular familiarity with. Uh, maybe Holden. Holden definitely seems familiar. Uh, yes, Bridge Over the Kwai, Network, and Sabrina, and a couple of others that are much further down the list. Um, yeah, so I've I've read I've heard a lot about this movie. It's on like the Letterboxd Top 250. It's you know a really widely appreciated and critically well received film. It is uh, you know one of the top IMDb movies. It's ranked number 53 all time with an 8.5, which is insane, like really high. And it's got a 4.4 on on Letterboxd. So whether or not I enjoy it, I do believe that it's going to be a film that I will have a, appreciate having finally seen. You know, it's one of those movies like uh, like A Clockwork Orange, like 2001: A Space Odyssey, like uh, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca. Uh, one of those movies that you just you have to watch. You know. Your, your Citizen Canes, your, um, you know, like, your Casinos, your Pulp Fictions, movies that transcend the medium and kind of become larger than themselves. You know, this is a movie I've heard a lot about, and finally, I'm going to actually watch it. And the impact of it is I think going to be strong you know I think based on like the the uh, the resume of Billy Wilder and how much I've already liked a lot of his films I think that I'm going to have a great time watching this one and this is another one that I really think has a good shot at ending up in the top 10 for this month's scavenger hunt so I'm really looking forward to it and I'm tentatively just looking through of the films that don't come out this year um, um yeah of the films that don't come out this year I think this is the one I'm most looking forward to to watch so that's really exciting and Sunset Boulevard 
1950. Yes. Number five. <clears throat> a film with a number in the title that you watch on the same day as the number. So, for example, you could say Big Hero 6, and then you watch it on the 6th of the month. Or 21 Jump Street, and you watch it on the 21st of the month. So, uh, I've, I ended up picking... I, I wanted a, a number that was really low so that I could get this film uh, checked off early because I think that if it was a number that was like, I don't know, 16 or like somewhere in the middle of the month or toward the end of the month, I would forget about needing to watch it on the right day. And so I wanted to just knock it out and not have to worry about what day I watch things on. So... I picked the seminal Jack Black, Michael Sarah comedy, Year One. And as today, I'm recording this on November 1st, I'm sorry, December 1st, I will be watching it sometime today, later on. It is uh, easily the lowest rated film on the scavenger hunt this month, with a 1.8 Average rating on Letterboxd. It is directed by Harold Ramis, um, which is a shame because, you know, he gave us Groundhog Day and Caddyshack and National Lampoon's Vacation. And he also has given us Year One. Uh, but, you know, it's got a wide cast of Jack Black, Michael Sarah, Olivia Wilde, Oliver Platt. David Cross, Christopher Mintz-Plaz, Vinnie Jones, Hank Azaria, Juno Temple, June Diane Raphael, Kyle Gass, Paul Rudd, Harold Ramis is in it, um, Paul Shear, Bill Hader, uh, you know, like, even, that that's what I love about a lot of bad movies, especially comedies, they have such big casts, and for me, that's always a draw for a movie, because that just means I can add more information to my spreadsheet. And so, in that sense, I'm looking forward to it. It's also fairly short. It's only, like, 95 minutes long. And it's probably going to be, like, really cheesy. And I think Jack Black kind of excels in that arena. So... I, I, I'm i sure it will be a fun watch even if it's a really bad movie number six uh, we've got a film made after 1994 with a character that made its on screen debut prior to 1964 so uh, I don't know where he came up with the years for this they seem relatively arbitrary uh, which is fine but it does make it a little more difficult in tracking down something that satisfies this uh, criteria. But ultimately, I decided on a two-part um, thing in Batman The Dark Knight Returns Parts 1 and 2. Uh, part 1 is the only one that's used on this uh, scavenger hunt list, but I'm going to conclude Part 2 uh, in the... And ultimately in the review process. So at the end of the month, 
it will simply just be Batman the Dark Knight Returns, and it will be the average of the two parts as the actual rating. Because together, they're only about two and a half hours long, ultimately. So that's that's not terribly awful uh, to, to, to have to endure. So uh, this is an animated uh, DC film that... And I've seen quite a few DC animated films, and uh, you know, so so this one comes kind of highly recommended. It's got old Batman, and that's cool. I like that. And you know, a lot of people think that this is one of the better takes on Batman. So I'm interested in that because. You know, I don't read any of the comics, so I don't have any sort of uh, frame for the character other than the movies. So there's, you know, the Tim Burton movies. Uh, there's like the older movies before Tim Burton. There's, you know, you've had all these different Batmans from Clooney to Keaton uh, to then you have your Christian Bale. Uh, you've got your and now you've got your uh, Ben Affleck, and these are the Batmans that I know, and I think that some of them are pretty good. You know, I think my favorite Batman is still Christian Bale at this point, and I want their. I, I've seen a lot of bat of the Batman films that are in the animated DC canon, but. None of them have really wowed me. I think Under the Red Hood, on my rewatch of it, was fantastic. Or, or uh, approximately great. It, it was originally, I thought it was good, but I didn't see exactly why so many people enjoyed it as much as they did. And then, rewatching it, I, I must have been, you know, I think I didn't have a quite the standing and you know basis of viewpoints when I first watched it that I did on my rewatch of it and in, I had a new appreciation for what it was doing and how interesting and how high of a quality the film actually was so I've seen stills and like gifs and memes that have used uh, frames from this film, or from these two films, so I, I'm really looking forward to Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, parts one and two. Number seven, a film based on a book that was slash is required reading for you in high school. Um, to be fair, this is a, this movie is based on a book that I've never read, and was not forced for us to read, but a Google search uh, has yielded that it is a required reading book for some people, and as far as I'm concerned, that's fair enough. It also happens to be uh, an Oscar-nominated film from 1939, uh, directed by William Wyler. This is Wuthering Heights. Uh, this is a very familiar title, and at the same time, it is a film I know absolutely nothing about. 
other than I believe the book's really long I think if I'm not I think so I'm not sure but uh, William Wyler the director is a director I'm very taken by you know he's I've seen nine of his films already uh, and a couple of them are some of my favorites of all time you've got Ben-Hur which I think is amazing Roman Holiday which is fantastic How to Steal a Million is great uh, Funny Girl is good Mrs. Miniver uh, The Children's Hour The Heiress you know he's worked a lot with Audrey Hepburn he's worked a lot with pretty much everybody uh, Betty Davis So, I'm interested in adding another film to Weiler's filmography to my spreadsheet, and I think that, you know, he's directed, on Letterboxd, he's got 38 directing, directing credits, which is a lot, and it'll be nice to kind of expand that more, and really see how how different this is from some of his other movies because the ones that I tend to be a little less positive on are frankly the Betty Davis films and she's not in this movie but it I mean I guess I don't really know anything about it but it's kind of uh, the poster gives me the same sort of vibes it's like a there's a girl on the poster, and then there's this, like, guy behind her staring at her. And I just, I get the same sort of vibes that I get from some of the posters that are the Betty Davis films, which I didn't particularly care for. So, on the one hand, I'm a little apprehensive about this one. Um, also because it is based on a book that we're supposed to have read in grade school, which tends to be something that isn't really fun to watch or read you know for all the for all the Shakespeare and um, Jane Eyre and all that kind of stuff you know well, Jane Eyre is probably the exception Shakespeare is probably the exception I, there's a lot of books that I remember reading in school that I hated reading that I know were like, these are great books, you should read them. And I was like, I hate this, I don't want to read these, like, this trash, like, just let me read some sci-fi fantasy stuff. <laughs> you know, that was me in school. And while I've definitely matured in that sense, you know, there are a lot of great Jane Eyre adapted films, a lot of great Shakespeare adapted films, I'm still apprehensive about this for that reason uh, so we'll see how that turns out number eight a film which has been used for the basis of a ride or attraction in a Disney theme park now this one was kind of tricky because I've seen so many Disney movies and then all of a sudden it was incredibly easy because this is a film that is on Zach's top two, 200 uh, from the Cinderella's podcast, and those are Zach and James are the co- the co-hosts of that show. 
I'm still trying to work through their top 200 films, and this is on Zach's, and so this is really easy, and that's Flight of the Navigator. So this is a 1986 Disney kids film directed by Randall Kleiser, starring Joey Kramer and Paul Rubens. Uh, um, so, you know, you've got the voice of um, Pee-wee Herman, and that's, that's enough, really, to, to pull me in. There's a couple of other names in this movie. You've got Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, a much younger Sarah Jessica Parker. You've got Veronica Cartwright, who is predominantly more of a voice actress, uh, as far as I'm aware, but she has been in quite a few things, uh, like Alien, uh, The Birds, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Kinsey, uh, The Children's Hour, which I recently mentioned. Really? That seems like much too old for her to be in. I guess it's the 60s. Um, yeah, so... Uh, I remember Zach talking about it, and if I, what I remember is it's basically this kid that goes up into space, which seems ridiculous. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know exactly how they're going to make that play at all in the movie but I mean I guess that's the fun of it you know when I was younger I remember watching a lot of Disney original films and while this is more of like a theater release than something like say Smart House which wasn't a theater release it was just on Disney Channel that's it's the same kind of vibe and that's that's a good nostalgic feel good vibe that I remember and so I think at the very least it will help me get back in touch with my inner child that has yearned for release maybe or something so Flight of the Navigator number 8 number 9 a film that features a now famous actor as an extra or bit part um so, I, I think I ended up just Googling cameos or something, like famous actor, early roles, cameos, something along those lines, and there are a lot of films that came up that I had already seen, but what I ended up settling on was a film called Youngblood, also from 1986, directed by Peter Markle. Um, the synopsis is... A skilled young hockey prospect hoping to attract the attention of professional scouts is pressured to show that he can fight if challenged during his stay in a Canadian minor hockey town. His on-ice activities are complicated by his relationship with the coach's daughter. Now this stars Rob Lowe, Patrick Swayze, Ed Lauder, and Cynthia Gibb, but it also features a very small role for one Cool Breeze Reeves, or to the layman, Keanu Reeves, the star of the Matrix trilogy. And 
that is awesome. I think I really like Keanu Reeves, uh, acting talent aside, because it is very spotty. But I think that it's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's he's fine. He's fun to watch, and yeah, he's only in this movie for a small amount of time, but I do like Rob Lowe. I think Rob Lowe is fun to watch. I loved him on Parks and Rec, uh, which will actually, that's a call forward. Um, so, uh, it's a hockey movie. I don't know how that's going to be. Um, there's some good hockey movies. I like sports movies in general most of the time, so I think that kind of makes it easier to accept this movie, considering I'd never heard of it before looking it up, and it's got very mediocre reviews, so we'll see. Youngblood, Keanu Reeves, that's it. Um, all right, moving on to number 10, a Spike Lee joint. Uh, so if you remember, last month, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing ended up number three. Number three? Was it number four? No, number three overall um, in my top ten for the last month's scavenger hunt. And so I went to his page and just picked the next highest uh, film that uh, I hadn't seen of his. No, I didn't do that at all, <laughs> because I would have picked Malcolm X, which is not what I picked. I ended up picking Jungle Fever. Um, yeah, I think that the reason I picked this is because it's kind of a... Not only is it a term that is kind of permeated through society and culture, but it's... It's just like a movie that you know about. I don't know. I, I don't know how to really explain it. I guess I just see it as a movie that it's kind of one of those things like if you were alive at the time and, you know, of age, you probably saw this movie or at the very least knew about it and those people probably remember it and uh, after having seen Loving recently uh, Jeff Nichols recent interracial film uh, I thought this would be a nice compliment to that and yeah so so that that's pretty much it it also has Samuel L. Jackson who you know, I I love Samuel Jackson, and at this point, I kind of just want to watch all of his movies because it feels like he's in more movies than anybody else, which isn't true, but I get that sense. But the cast is also pretty big, you know. You've got Spike Lee, uh, John Turturro again is in this, Halle Berry, Tim Robbins, Wesley Snipes, Ozzie Davis again. Samuel L. Jackson, so it's kind of like an early 90s cast, um, you know, a lot of these, you know, your Wesley Snipes, your Halle Berry, Tim Robbins, they don't really show up much anymore, uh, Halle Berry tries, but I think, I, 
I don't know if it's just that her heyday is over or that she kind of just lucked into some roles in like the late 90s, early 2000s, or exactly what happened. So, oh, interesting. Go watch the, to go watch this, another Spike Lee movie, to see if he really has that spark. Because um, this is pretty, I think this is the film he came out with right after Do the Right Thing, which was in 1989. So, that'll be interesting to compare as well. Number 11, a film made in the USA from an Asian director. So, I actually had a different movie in this slot originally, but that movie came out this year, and I wasn't able to find out if I'd be able to watch it or not. So, I went back to an older film by the same director. Uh, so, the director is Kim So Young. From 2012, this film is called For Ellen. And it stars Paul Dano, John Hedder, Jenna Malone, and Dakota Johnson. Uh, so it's got a decent cast uh, for what seems to be a very small indie movie that very few people ended up watching. Uh, it's got average reviews. And uh, it, it seems to be it's basically about a struggling musician, the musician, and he's trying to retain custody of uh, his daughter, the titular Ellen. And, you know, having just seen Paul Dano in Swiss Army Man, and I really enjoy Jenna Malone as well, so I think that there's enough going on in this movie to make it interesting for me. And the other, the film that I initially put, uh, the Kim So Young film that I was going to do, was Love Song, which also stars Jenna Malone, uh, is a film that I am interested in watching. So this will give me a better basis uh, of reference for that when I finally do see it, because I'll have seen a Kim So Young film, uh, particularly a Kim So Young film with Jenna Malone in it. So I'm looking forward to that angle of things. Number 12, a film based on a non-superhero comic book. Uh, so, there are a lot of good ones of these. And then there's Term Life, which is a 2016 release directed by Peter Billingsley. Um, the tagline says, A daughter out of options, a father out of time. And the poster looks awful. Vince Vaughn's hair is just like a mop. It looks really bad. And stars Haley Steinfeld and Vince Vaughn, who have recently been in films that I've seen. Uh, also has Jonathan Banks from Better Call Saul slash Breaking Bad. Uh, Bill Paxton Terrence Howard, Taraji P. Henson, John Favreau, Shay Wiggum, Mike Epps. Like, it's got a lot of people in this for, like, a real shitty movie that came out this year that literally I never even, I don't remember seeing. 
anything about. But like Vince Vaughn is an action hero. I don't know. No. Uh, this is going to be another like year one type movie as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. So a film number 13, a film whose only Oscar nomination is for acting. Uh, doesn't matter which acting award as long as that's the only nomination it got. Uh, and I wanted, I wanted it to be an actress nominating nomination. Um, it didn't, the, the category doesn't determine whether or not it wins or loses for its nomination. So I ended up going with the 1933 film, uh, Morning Glory which earned Katherine Hepburn an Oscar nomination and win. Uh, it's It's got Katherine Hepburn, and that's really enough for me, but it doesn't have great reviews, so I'm expecting this to kind of be just a performance from her that carries it through, and the film around her is not up to snuff. I guess, and, you know, I wish, I, I really do want to see more Katherine Hepburn films, and so this is a launching point, starting off point, uh, particularly, you know, I've only seen her seven films that she's been in, of the 59 credits she has on Letterboxd, and this is, like, one of the lower credits, like, this is only, like, number 21, on her list, which is pretty low in, for, in terms of letterboxed popularity. So, you know, she's an incredible actress, one of my favorites for sure. She's like in the top 50, like only seven films, and she's in the top 50 of all time actors on my spreadsheet. And I have no doubt that this will only improve that score. And that's that's the name of the game. Morning Glory, 1933, directed by Lowell Sherman, who I don't, nope, I haven't seen him, any of his films. They don't look particularly noteworthy either. But he made this, and it earned Katherine Hepburn an Oscar nomination. So, I don't know anything about it, but Katherine Hepburn is always a joy to watch. Number 14, a film that features lots of snow. Uh, plenty of films that could have fit this category. And this is the one category that I may have to change the film that it's in after doing this episode. It's The current slot is being held by The Eagle Huntress, which is a film that came out this year. It's a documentary about um, a girl who uh, wants to become the first female in 12 generations uh, of her family to become an eagle hunter. And that sounds great. I I'm really interested in this topic, or not really the topic per se as much as the story, but I'm also interested in adding the narrator's uh, credit to my spreadsheet, which is Daisy Ridley. 
because, you know, I think she's, I really liked her in Force Awakens, and, you know, once, once someone's on the spreadsheet, anything they touch is fair game, and I remember seeing trailers for this at AMC, and it looks good, and I don't watch enough documentaries, and I really should, but hopefully, I, I don't know if I'll be able to watch this, because it is playing at a theater sort of nearby, but it's not a conveniently located nearby theater, so I'm hoping that it comes to the AMC at some point. If it doesn't, I will address it as like a prologue to some other some episode down the line and switch out this film for something else uh, just so everyone's just so there's full transparency there uh, but that's the eagle huntress now the next five tasks are kind of they all go hand in hand together so i'm just going to kind of hit them all at the same time you've got numbers 15 number 15 all of them are a film directed by Steven Spielberg, and number 15 is one that came out between 1970 and 79. Number 16 is a film from 1980 and 89, 90 to 99, 2000, 2009, 2010, and now. So, uh, I basically just picked five Spielberg films from different decades that I hadn't seen yet. So, we've got Duel from the 70s, uh, which stars Dennis Weaver. Okay, these are names I've never heard of before. So this is an early Spielberg film. And uh, it's got some it's got some pretty good reviews. I don't know anything about it. It looks there's a car crash on the poster and a guy screaming like his head's exploding. And it's Spielberg, you know, like it's gonna be very Spielbergian. And I like Spielberg a lot. He's my number one director on my spreadsheet. And we'll see if these five movies can keep him up there. The other next movie from the 80s is the Richard Dreyfus, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, Audrey Hepburn, Keith David film, Always which has got pretty poor reviews. Uh, you know, it's got a really cheesy looking poster with Dreyfus's face um, transparently up in the clouds, up in the sky, up in the stars. And so it'll be fun to see if this is as bad as the reviews and rating makes it seem to be. I'm always interested in a bad Spielberg film because I think that that's interesting to see like well how can the director of so many great films make something bad and then you see Crystal Skull and it just doesn't it defies logic so I'm I'm interested to see if that's exactly how always will turn out in the 90s the only film from the 90s of his that I haven't seen is Amistad uh, which is one that you hear a lot about and one that I probably should have seen by now, but I haven't. And that's uh, 
about to be rectified. It is an Oscar-nominated film, which is important. It came out in 1997. It has a big cast. It's a very long movie. And it's got some it's got above-average ratings and reviews. So I guess I'm just kind of expecting another Spielberg epic uh, that doesn't really... I, I don't expect it to be like a great movie, but it kind of just feels like... Mm, it kind of just feels like a, just another Spielberg movie. If that makes any sense, you know, like, if I were to say, like, oh, it's just, it's just an, another Tim Burton movie. It's got that same connotation, that same uh, joie de vie, in a way. The 2000 aughts film is AI, Artificial Intelligence, uh, starring Haley Joel Osment, Jude Law, Francis O'Connor, William Hurt, Robin Williams, Ben Kingsley, Meryl Streep, Chris Rock, Kim Leung, Sam Robards, Clark Gregg, Kevin Sussman. Jeez. Um, you know, and again, Spielberg, he, he attracts tons of talent around him, huge cast. This is a very famous film that resonates with a lot of people. It's good reviews. A lot of people love it. And a movie I probably should have seen by now and haven't. And that's why it's on the list. And then a film from the 2010s. Literally the only one that's out that I haven't seen was the BFG. Which is a movie I'd been meaning to see. And I ended up kind of putting it off because... It wasn't really, I don't know, it didn't, it didn't do really do well at the box office, the reviews were kind of mixed, and that, I don't know, it's, it's a Spielberg film based on a children's book with flashy, colorful effects, and, you know, that seems like a recipe for success, so I'm curious as to why it wasn't. Uh, it stars Mark Rylance as the giant, uh, recently coming off his Best Supporting Actor win at this past year's Oscars. And so... I'm, I'm interested in it. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm just like repeating myself on all these previews. But moving on, number 20. Uh, so that that jumped us ahead quite a bit. A live-action Disney film, pre-2000. And this is a movie... Um, I mentioned that I'm kind of on a musical kick, and so this also hits that note in Newsies from 1992, starring a infantile Christian Bale. Like, he's so young in this movie. Which is crazy, because, like, 15 years later, he's Batman. Which is... Maybe maybe that's crazier, that this kid turned into Batman. Uh, so, you know, I, I know I've seen um, some Tony ceremonies with, like, newsy references... And I've seen GIFs of 
Bale as a newsie, but I don't know anything about it other than they're just like, they sell newspapers. So, and they're kids. So I don't really know what the movie's about beyond that, but it has Christian Bale, and that's always fun. I think he's great. It's It'll be interesting to see if he's as great as his kid. I recently did watch, uh, I think, what, Empire of the Sun? Is that the yeah, movie that he was in also as a kid? I have to look now. Um... Yeah, Empire of the Sun. I thought he was pretty good in that, even though the movie was mostly average. Uh, and that came out five years before Newsies, so he's a little more. He's probably he's like a teenager in this, I guess. So it'll be interesting to see his change in. You know, you get a lot of these young actors, and like they just look like they're acting. And it's interesting to see at what point do they become able to hide the fact that they're acting. Because, like, Empire of the Sun was the first time I'd seen Christian Bale appear that way. So we'll see if that carried as far as Newsies. Number 21, a film you've been meaning to see from 2016. And that one was pretty easy. Uh, it's uh, Pride and Prejudices and the Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Who doesn't like a good zombie movie, especially when it's mixed in with uh, Pride and Prejudice, which I, is one of my favorite movies. Well, is a really good movie that I really like, and it's star. You know, it's got Matt Smith from Doctor Who in it. Lena Headey from Game of Thrones, Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, and really what really sold me on it was James's review of it from The Cinerealist. He loved it, like, quite a bit, and so I think I, I value his opinion, and I think it looks really fun if nothing else so I'm looking I mean I'm yeah yeah Pride and Prejudice and Zombie number 22 a Shane Black film uh, this is a Shane Black written film starring Gina Davis and there he is again Samuel L. Jackson uh, from 1996 called The Long Kiss Goodnight and the only reason I really picked it is because Samuel Jackson's on the poster. You know, he... I've already seen him in, like, 61 different movies. And... Any chance I get to put Adam, not Adam in another thing, I will take it. Uh, I also love Gina Davis. Particularly 90s-era Gina Davis. So... The fact that she's, like, this... Um stay-at-home mom turned uh, lethal assassin that's great I love it you know I think this is going to be a really fun movie to see and I'm really looking forward to the Gina Davis Samuel Jackson chemistry and team up number 23 a film with a Hispanic female lead 
this was kind of tough to find. I... And I'm not really sure why, other than there aren't a lot. You know, you can look at... I guess what I struggled with is there are a lot of uh, Hispanic actresses that fit this criteria. I mean, I guess technically all Hispanic actresses do, but there are some that only fit it, that don't like look like they fit it, so they don't really look Hispanic and technically are, but like they either look European or like otherwhere, otherwere European or they look uh, African-American or they look Caucasian, which is fine, but, you know, it, it's, it kind of felt to me like it was slightly defeating the purpose. You know, it's the, I think the intent of this task is to watch a woman of color lead a movie. And that's what I wanted to do. And if that woman of color looks white, it feels disingenuous in a way. So I ended up picking uh, a 2014 film called At the Devil's Door. And I mentioned, as I've mentioned a few times now, that I've been on a musical kick. Uh, And part of that also includes Glee, which is a show I quite like. And this movie stars Santana, from Glee, uh, or better known, or also known as uh, Naya Rivera, who, one of my favorite characters from the show, and I've never seen her in a movie before. Uh, So that will be something interesting to see if she can be as entertaining when she's not singing. Uh, Maybe she doesn't. Maybe she doesn't have like, movie acting chops, but at the very least, I'll know. It also has uh, Ashley Rickards, who is from the MTV show Awkward, who is an actress I really like. I've seen quite a few of movies that she's been in, and I really like her acting in most of them, so that enticed me to this movie as well. Number 24, a film featuring any regular cast member of the TV show Parks and Recreation. There's that call forward. Uh, I went with Passengers, which comes out this month, starring Chris Pratt, who is Andy from Parks and Rec, as well as Jennifer Lawrence. And I've listened to the trailer for this a ton of times, you know, keeping my eyes closed when it comes on at the theater. And this is a movie I'm really looking forward to, starring two people that I love, like two beautiful people that I think are really good actors. And that's really all you need to make it want to watch it. Yeah. Uh, number 25 is a Tom Green film. I was really nervous that I was going to have to watch something that was, like, not only really bad, but also, like, just irrelevant. But thankfully, there is an animated film that came out this year 
called Bling, directed by Kyung Ho Lee, that stars the voice talents of Taylor Kitsch, Janet McCurdy, Carla Gugino, James Woods, Tom Green, John Hedder, Jason Mewes, and Jim Brewer. And it's like a Chinese-based cartoon. The animation looks awful. It's got terrible reviews. Maybe this is worse than year one. I'm not sure. It doesn't have enough ratings for Letterboxd to have a consensus. But... It looks really bad. It looks so bad. Oh my goodness. I'm... <laughs> I'm really excited to watch this. Just for the... like. I watched Food Fight last month. Which was just terrible so bad and that's the vibe i'm getting from this and that i couldn't be more excited i love so i i'm definitely gonna need these really awful movies during award season and like the with all this oscar bait prestige films coming out that i'm watching at the theater this will be a nice change of pace to kind of cleanse the palate so that's bling Number 26, a sequel in which a main actor was replaced with another. So, tough one for me to find a movie I hadn't seen that fits this criteria, but and to find a sequel that I'd seen the original of, but not the sequel. Uh, but I did find one, and that's Hannibal. Uh, that, so, you know, you've got Silence of the Lambs that starred Jodie Foster, and now you've got Hannibal, who, which stars Julianne Moore instead. Uh, directed by Ridley Scott, so that's another big name that is going to be important. Uh, you know, starring Anthony Hopkins, Julianne Moore, Gary Oldman, and Ray Liotta. Liotta? Liotta? Is it Liotta or Liotta? Liotta? Liotta, I, th I think it's Liotta. Um... Yeah, I, I never really had any desire to watch this. It kind of falls into that Godfather Part 3 universe where it's bad and it might detract from the original. And while Godfather 3 was pretty bad, I don't think it affected the first two movies at all. So I'm hoping that Hannibal doesn't do the same, or does the lacks doing the same for Silence of the Lambs because Godfather is one of the best movies I've ever seen Silence of the Lambs is an equally amazing film and uh, yeah uh, it's this one is definitely a stat a stat grab pretty much across the board as part of a series a prominent director, a big cast uh, yeah that's that's what that is Number 27, uh, a film on Slate's black film canon. Uh, so there's an article in the list that leads to the 50 greatest films by black directors. And surprisingly, and I don't remember exactly when they made this list, but it one of the films is a 2016 release. It's a documentary. It's over seven hours long. So it's... It's actually approximately 
according to Letterboxd, um, seven hours and 43 minutes long. And that's OJ Made in America. Uh, a lot of people are expecting this to be nominated for Best Documentary at the Oscars. And if that's true, I will have to watch it eventually. It's got a 4.5 average rating on Letterboxd, which is so high. And everyone I've ever heard talk about it claims it's like one of the best things they've ever seen in their lives. So I'm just going to watch it. Uh, you know, I re- I've watched uh, one of the first hunts I, scavenger hunts I did had Shoah on it. And if you don't know what Shoah is, it is a World War II documentary that's over eight hours long. That's actually phenomenal. It's a great documentary. It is very, very long, though. And this is also very long. So, yeah, you know, this is what I'm, I'm most interested in is like the whole OJ trial. Uh, and you know that if I had done it and all that these are things like I was too young to really understand what was happening while they happened and I don't really remember anything about this I don't know much about the trial I don't know much about the guy or the character or any of the people involved you know I know that he was acquitted and I know that uh, everyone thinks he did it and he probably did do it, but that's about it. And so I'm really, really looking forward to this because it, it seems like it's it's being made to, out to be a seminal piece of film from this year. And that, more than anything, draws me to wanting to see it. So I'm... I'm looking forward to that number 28 and the last film on the list from that I will probably be seeing in theaters is a Christmas film you've never seen and considering it's December and their movies coming out I went with Office Christmas Party I've seen trailers for this it just looks really silly and fun it's got a big comedy cast checks all the boxes next uh, a Christmas film, number 29, a Christmas film you watch every year. Uh, that one's easy. It is not just an amazing holiday film that hits the two, mm, I guess not the two biggest holidays, but the biggest holiday in Christmas. And the I think what I would consider the most iconic holiday in Halloween it is very short to help compensate for the extra time it's going to take to watch OJ Made in America. It's got beautiful music composed by Danny Elfman, features a stellar voice cast, impeccable stop-motion animation, and is, above all, my absolute favorite film of all time. And that is The Nightmare Before Christmas. I've talked about it before. You hear it on some of the intro music. I don't think uh, I need to go too into depth as to my excitement to rewatch this movie because I love it so much, so much. Number 30, a film set on or about New Year's Eve. 
and that was tricky. Uh, but I ended up going with a film called Four Rooms, which is kind of like a anthology film, and it apparently takes place on or about New Year's Day. Um, and yeah, it's an anthology, so there's a lot of different actors in it. That's great. It's got a lot of different directors in it also, which is also great. It'll be it's the only Tarantino film I haven't seen. Uh, also has a directed segment from uh, Robert Rodriguez. So yeah. Kind of burned out on this. I get to the end of these lists, and I'm really running out of new ways to say I'm looking forward to watching things. Uh, but this is the last movie, number 31, um, to round out the whole list: a film based on or about Hanukkah. Man, this is a very small list. Uh, there are not a lot of Hanukkah-related films. The, one of the more prominent ones, or most of the more prominent ones I've already seen. Uh, but then I stumbled upon a film that a lot of other people have picked to satisfy this task called The Hebrew Hammer. It's from 2003. It stars Adam Goldberg, Judy Greer, Andy Dick. And the synopsis reads... A Jewish blaxploitation hero saves Hanukkah from the clutches of Santa Claus's evil son. Sold. This is ridiculous. This looks absolutely absurd. Uh, I, I don't know what to even expect. If, if it pays off, if it actually is what it says it is, I think it'll be, if not, probably not the best movie I watch. I would be willing to say that pretty confidently, but maybe the most entertaining one, uh, like a Jewish black exploitation hero fighting Santa's Claus's evil son, and the Jewish exploitation hero is Adam Goldberg, and based on the uh, cast, I think Andy Dick is Santa Claus's evil son. So. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with this movie. I, I, I can't even with this movie. So those are the 31 films I'll be watching this month for the 21st monthly scavenger hunt. I There's a lot of good ones on here. There's a lot of mediocre ones on here. There's some bad ones on here. And uh, a few of them, uh, notably... Passengers and Assassin's Creed will probably get their own review episodes at some point simply because they're big movies that are coming out and um, yeah so you'll be able to get those uh, pretty pretty soon after I see them uh, but a lot of these others are going to end up being on uh, kind of under the radar until the end of the month review episode comes out so yeah uh another big swath of various movies 
I do prefer these hunts that aren't particularly themed. Um, you know, you've got October's hunt was very horror themed, which is fine because it's a genre I'm I wanted to expand a little bit on, but it's always easier when all of the movies are just kind of all over the place because then you get to pull in you don't it doesn't feel monotonous, you know. Oh, another slasher. Oh, another slasher. Oh, another slasher. You know, like, oh, scary monster. You know, this at least. There's a lot of variety. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. So, yeah. That's it. That's the December Scavenger Hunt preview episode. Thank you all for listening. Uh, You can check the show notes for a link that takes you to my letterbox list for this hunt. Um if you want to check out some of the films on there and uh yeah you can find me on itunes or go to circleoffilm.com for other contact information older episodes and miscellaneous things you can email me at circleoffilm at gmail.com and uh i think that's it so Thank you for listening, and have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same night. Come on, baby, when we paint the town. And all that jazz. So long, farewell, I'll be the same at you. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.